Well, hello everyone. It is Thursday, uh, November 1st, 2018, and my name is Rafael Garcia, and I am back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. It is episode 101, and I am looking forward to what's next for um, this show. You know, we've been doing a hundred episodes where and you know we just celebrated our 100th episode um we actually have a new writer that has joined mma ratings i don't I just know his first name's john sorry i don't uh can't think of his last name off the top of my head but he will probably be joining us on an episode some point in time in the near future so yeah it, things are looking up for us um Business is good, and we're probably going to be making some changes in the near future. But either way, you know, we are doing some great work here at the MMA Ratings Podcast. And I just want to say thank you for everyone who supported us so far along the way. Um, Here's to the 100 episodes that we've made, and here's to 100 more. Um, I do not know if Shawan's joining me tonight. He has gone silent. I'm sure he's probably busy running around with his girls. So... We'll continue on because we have a lot to talk about. Um, a lot of a few different things has happened since we last got on the air. But as always, we're going to kind of go over some of the bigger news stories from the event. Excuse me, bigger news stories from the week, and talk about UFC 230, which is scheduled for this weekend with a pretty big uh, main event. It's an interesting main event. It's more of an entertaining main event between Derek uh, Lewis and um, Daniel Cormier. So let's go ahead and kind of jump right into it because the biggest story that I want to talk about is the trade that has occurred between uh, Demetrius Johnson, or excuse me, let me put it this way, between the UFC and 1FC where we have seen Demetrius Johnson go from the octagon over to fighting in Asia and Ben Askren is coming over out of retirement and I do retirement in air quotes to fight in the UFC and this is a pretty monumental moment for a lot of different reasons the main reason being because we've never seen anything like this in mixed martial arts first and foremost a fighter what's what's occurring here this is not like a straight up trade as in you know the nfl is going through the trade line trade deadline right now it's not a trade in that per se but what's going on is both organizations have agreed to release their fighters with the intention of these men signing with the opposite organization so 1fc is going to release Askren from his contractual obligations even though he retired he still had fights left on his contract to re-sign or to sign a new deal with the usc demetrius johnson is going to be released from his contract to go over to 1fc so there's a lot of different angles to talk about with this. Um, isn't there? And I don't. I've been listening to a lot of commentary, listening to a lot of uh, pundits talk about whether or not this was "quote unquote" good for one group um, or the other. And I don't think that's quite the way to look at it because, in my opinion, 
I think that this is good for all the parties involved. No one lost here. No one lost in this deal. The UFC is, um, they're getting, I'm not going to say getting rid. They're letting go of a fighter that they've struggled to promote. Um, we are aware that we are well aware that Johnson is one of the top names in the sport. And he's considered, he's widely considered a, a pound for pound great, in my opinion. I think he's one of the top, in my opinion right now, I think he's number one pound for pound in my uh, my purview. Not number one, excuse me, since he lost the title. Uh, maybe top, definitely top five. But they've struggled to promote him to a level that people feel like he should have been uh, during his tear. Um but there's a lot to kind of unpack there because there are very few men or women who have ever reached that um, reached that point. I mean, if we're being honest, the only individuals that have really become promotional powerhouses for the UFC is probably Tito Ortiz. Uh, Anderson Silva with Chell Sonnen, Conor McGregor, Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar, and if I didn't say him already, GSP. Those are probably the only individuals that really became promotional powerhouses for the organization. John Jones is a big name, but I think the most deals, he, most buys he's ever done is like 800K or so. That's nine people out of an organization that has what close to three to five hundred fighters on the roster today and has had multiple other hundreds of fighters on the roster since um since the time of tito ortiz if you want to go all the way back to then so to say that johnson had to become a star or he wasn't properly promoted under their banner is one thing um they i don't think that they try to do enough with him it would have been interesting to see what they could have done with that video game market which is not something that he's now getting back because he will now be able to work with Xbox in the future or PlayStation, actually, because he uh, he actually has become more of a PlayStation guy now. But he'll be able to kind of get back with that, um, potentially get back into that space as as a as a sponsor and be more of a uh, brand ambassador there. So there is an opportunity for him. But let's focus on on the, on the UFC first because they're losing Johnson, someone that they've struggled to uh, build into a star, and they're getting someone in Aspirin who I think better fits their model because Askren is he's a talker I mean he hasn't even he was a talker before he was a talker before the UFC he was a talker when he was a wrestler in at uh, Mizzou um, he was a talker during when he tried to make the a run in the Olympics he was a talker in Bellator and a talker in 1FC and he's always kind of taking shots at guys in the welterweight division who's at the top when um, he was in other promotions and now it's time to see if he can actually back it up. Dana White has said that he is supposed to be getting a 
top five uh, opponent in his first, or excuse me, top ten opponent in his first fight. So we're going to look at the rain, rankings and talk about who he should fight at some point. But this is pretty big to me. Because he's already been taking shots at men on the welterweight division. Already been taking shots at those guys and setting up a situation that gets setting up a situation that creates a lot of intrigue regardless of who he's placed against. So if they took the top 10 of the welterweight division, you have Kobe Covington, Darren Till, Rafael Dos Anjos, Stephen Thompson, Robbie Lawler, Kamaru Usman, Damian Maya, Neil Magny, Jorge Masvidal, and Santiago Ponzinibbio. That's 1 to 10. In my opinion, looking at that group, he's already called out Darren Till, and, that's, and those two have kind of gone back and forth the most. For Ben Askren, I think the matchups that work best for him are Kobe Covington, Rafael Dos Anjos, maybe Robbie Lawler. Uh, let me see. I think Usman would be a tough fight for him. Damian Maia would be a good one. Neil Magny would be a good one. Masvidal may be a tough fight. Santiago, I think Santiago is just, uh, he's just too dangerous right, there, right at, at this point in time. And, I, and if, if my opinion, I wouldn't book that fight for him at this point in time. Um, but those individuals are the names that jump off at the page to me as who he should face off against first and who I would like to see him face off against first. There hasn't been any talk about who he'll be fighting or when for that matter. But this is a this is a moment that should be um, cataloged because it's, it's, it's this is a guy who can come into the organization and I believe talk himself into becoming a decent PPV draw. And I think he has the ability. I'm not saying that Askren is going to become a champion in the, the UFC, but I think that he's someone that can build himself up into a uh, decent position in the welterweight division. Uh, but, Shawan, how you doing there, sir? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing great, sir, man. How have you been this last week? Oh, man, it's been ridiculous. It's been so hectic in between uh, just – family and then all these big movements in the MMA world has been, been like a tornado, man. Just trying to keep up with everything. How are the kids, man? How are the girls? Oh, they're, they're good. We, we started our season. One of them made varsity. Other two are on JV. So we're just about to start the season see how it goes. Well, congratulations to all of them. So um, let's go ahead and kind of jump right into it, dude, because you came in at a perfect time. We're talking about the trade between uh, one FC and the UFC taking Demetrius Johnson over to one FC, being bringing over Ben Askren. What I wanted to focus focus on first was the UFC before we go over to Asia and talk about Johnson and what they all get out of there. Um, talk to me about Ben Askren here. Uh, where do you think his ceiling is within the UFC's welterweight division, especially at 34 years, years of age? Well, I still, I mean, he still would be probably 
what top three, top five wrestlers in the history of the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, as far as skill level and physical ability. Um, my main concern is that in one, they had you fight. They, I don't think they cut weight. They had him fighting at a higher weight, so he hasn't had to cut down in a while. So I'm not too sure how his body holds up to that. That's um, a good point because I haven't heard anyone else talking about that. That is a very good point. Yeah. So I mean, when you haven't had to cut and then you've been retired. It might have been, what, year, two years, three years since he's done any sort of real kind of cut. Um, that can affect your, you know, as a person who's competed to yourself, you haven't done it in a while. That can affect your stamina. That can affect your ability to explode. It affects your coordination earlier because you get you tire earlier. Plus, you know, being a little bit dehydrated, you take shots a little bit worse than you do than you do when you're fully hydrated. And those are things he hasn't had to deal with. So my concern more about his inability to succeed is the fact that he hasn't had to go through these preparations literally in the past three to four years and with another year off that's almost probably close to five probably close to five years he hasn't had to do that so that's a big adjustment and my concern on the negative side is he hasn't really faced anybody with comparable athletic talent or any sort of skill even in the mixed martial arts world he's faced mostly good to very good fighters he hasn't really faced any great athletes or great fighters and even though he might be better than them one, like you said, he's 34. And two, we've all seen how much a fighter changes when the gap goes from 100 yards to maybe just a few feet. All of a sudden, when you can't do the things you want to do as easily, physically, uh, it changes how you fight. And as good a wrestler as Askren is, if he gets his hands on you, he can chain wrestle. He could probably submit a lot of guys or just ride them out with control. But he hasn't faced a good enough athlete who could defend the takedown or could force him back to his feet or could really make him pay on the feet if he got a little bit too wild or too sloppy. that That's my concern. On the plus side, he's still, like I said, top five wrestler in mixed martial arts history. He has competed at a very competent level. He's an established champion in two divisions. So even though he hasn't been facing the best, he's been active. He's got championship pedigree. And up until this point, he hasn't shown enough holes and anybody's been able to close the show and beat him. So while we can all say there's ways to beat him, until someone really does, that's just a that's just an opinion. That's just a thought because it hasn't been done as of yet. So I think he's got a good chance. But when he starts facing the upper echelon as far as the athletes, that's going to be problematic for him. And I don't know what the, the UFC – usually they throw their signees in pretty tough right off the bat. And I know he's not going to want a small name either. So I'm very curious to see how he deals with guys when he doesn't have a huge talent level and see how he does when he has to start cutting weight and fighting at some kind of pace. So – when you mentioned the UFC throwing the guys ahead in um, head first, basically into their division, I went down the list of the top ten in the welterweight division because Dana White has said that they've uh, that they're going to give him a top ten fighter, and this is the top ten right now as it stands now. Uh, so we got Kobe Covington, and I'm just going to name him one to ten. Kobe Covington, Darren Till, Rafael Dos Anjos, Stephen Thompson, Robbie Lawler, Marl Usman, Damian Maya, Neil Magny, Jorge Masvidal, and Santiago Ponzinibbio. Looking at looking at that list, I think Covington, Dos Anjos, Lawler, Maya, Magny, and Masvidal are his best bets. Who do you think that they should pair him up against first? If we're talking about an, are we talking about like his chances of winning or just just a good fight? Chances of winning. You did did you say Damian Maya in there too? Yeah. 
Um, I think Maya's a viable win because he's not he's not he's not the athlete he used to be. He's gonna play to the strengths of Askren, and even though Askren's not great on the feet, Maya tends to fade. So he could do something similar to what Colby Covington did: defend takedowns or get him and get back up real quick, exhaust Maya, and then kind of maybe work out by working with some volume. Because once Maya's gas tank goes, he's essentially ineffective. And again, somebody with Askren's wrestling pedigree, Maya shouldn't be able to get him down. So he should basically be able to just survive on the feet, defend takedowns, maybe get some takedowns yourself, ride him a little bit, get back up, wait till he's gas and just pour it on him. I think Maya might be the safest bet as far if, if Askren has a smart game plan and fights some discipline. I think ask I think uh, Maya would be the safest bet. Uh, the second one, I I wouldn't win somebody with too much footwork. That's a little bit more difficult for him. Um, maybe Colby Covington might cut no RDA. RDA would be a good fight for him too, if if he gets past Usman because he he's gonna fight Usman before he fights um before he'd have a chance at asking. But RDA would be a good fight just because his wrestling has never been really great, especially against guys who can chain takedowns together and can and can put pressure on him. He's got he hits hard and he's good striking, but if Colby Covington is able to take him down, even though he had to fight a little before, I would assume that Ben Askren could could follow suit. And the last one would be Colby Covington, just because Covington's a wrestler as well. Covington's not a devastating striker. He's not hard to hit, and even Maya had moments where he was in on his hips. He just couldn't finish. I assume that if Ben Askren got those positions, Askren could get him down and essentially control him for the majority of a round. Anybody who's not very good defensively with their footwork and doesn't have like a wide range of entries and exits with their striking should be somebody he's safe with. Those kind of guys, Maya, RDA, and Covington. The guys he'd be concerned with would be Macedal because he can box and move. Uh, I think Wonderboy Thompson would give him some problems. And even, uh, even Robbie Lawler, if he fought the right fight, could give him some problems, I believe. I, I'm interested in, in that Lawler fight because I'm interested not necessarily in how Askren would do himself. I'm interested in seeing Lawler next time he's out, what type of fighter he is. Are we about to see him go on a downward slide? And that's kind of a conversation we're going to have when his next fight is coming up. I think he's fighting Stephen Thompson, I think. I can't even remember. But um, that's something I, I do want to talk about because I'm, I'm concerned and curious as to what Robbie Lawler will see going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like Lawler's on a downslide, and I don't really want to see Lawler get used that way. Like, I'd want him to be in a style matchup where he could get a chance to be the old Robbie Lawler. If he's going to get beat, I want him to have the best chance to do what he likes to do. That's why I, I'm not sure I want to see him against Askren. He's done enough for the sport where I think he should be set up in favorable matchups, like matchups that, that favor his style, whether he wins or whether he loses matchups to give him a chance to do what he likes to do in a fight. I think I think the UFC and MMA as a whole kind of owes him that. And I don't I don't know that the Askren is the best fight for him to get those opportunities with. Good thoughts there. Good thoughts. And, my, and one, one more thing, my concern about Askren, I know this fight happened a couple years ago, but I was reviewing it again when he fought us. Uh, Sapo, I can't remember the guy's whole name, but uh, unless uh, his striking's taken Go ahead. It was a Brazilian guy. Unless his striking's got a lot better, and I, I can't imagine that it has, he really has issues with guys who are mobile, who can use kicks, and can get off the center line and pivot around the ring. Um, if, if you've got footwork and you've got some layers to your striking, you can really give him issues just by not being there and forcing him to chase you. And 
And that's why I'm saying I don't know that you throw him in with a. I mean, if you're trying to get him beat, you might throw him in with a Thompson, a Masvidal, maybe even a, uh, a uh, I forgot a Ponzinibbio because they're the kind of guys who throw a lot of technique. They can move around a little bit, and they have a lot of layers. They can punch, they can knee, they can work in the clinch, they can work the long distance strikes. Um, and that's 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 problematic for a guy like that. I, I've just seen he's. I don't think he's an athlete in the striking realm. And he doesn't have the skill set defensively or offensively to get in the positions he wants to get in safely. And those kind of guys, I think, could expose him. A fight I'd actually like to see him. Who It's not going to happen because he's not a top 10 guy. I wouldn't mind him seeing him against Gunnar Nelson. I think that would be a fight that kind of tiptoes between the style he wants to fight and a style that can test where his striking and where his conditioning is at as well. Because Gunnar Nelson's a, like a world-class karateka. So, and I think he could, he could test him as he's not a big puncher. And plus, Gunnar Nelson is a world-class grappler. So that'd be a challenge on that end as well. I'd really like to see that fight. I know it's not going to happen, but I'd really like to see that fight. If I, if I had to honestly pick anybody in welterweight division to fight him, that's what I would pick, Nelson versus Askren. Good thoughts there, man. Good thoughts. Um, let's move over to 1FC. And let's talk about uh, Demetrius Johnson because I think that I think that this fight is going to benefit him. I'm interested in seeing what he gets paid uh, long-term, but I think that this is going to benefit him because – it puts him in a position where I, I'm not going to say he's going to get better promoted, but he's going to be more of a featured star there. We know that uh, Japanese MMA, they are okay with supporting. Uh, they I think the fans there are better or more open to supporting the smaller fighters, and he'll have that in his back pocket. So that's one aspect aspect of it but also from the financial aspect of it of him finally being able to tap back into that sponsorship base uh within the video game industry i think that this is a big deal for him and i'm looking forward to seeing what's next for uh demetrius johnson i i honestly think i i've before i get into demetrius johnson i, I just have to touch on this because i said this a couple weeks ago on the show i like demetrius johnson i think he has been done a disservice by the ufc and by the fans to a certain degree. But I take the example of somebody like a Derek Lewis, and I'm just touching on it really quick. He's a guy, he wasn't brought into fanfare. He wasn't on an undefeated streak. He'd been beaten before. And you, and you see what he's done with his opportunities. You've seen how he's marketed himself. When people tell me that an organization doesn't push a guy, and I see a guy like Derek Lewis somehow getting sponsorships and turning a huge star, it's hard for me to take those guys seriously. And as good a guy as Demetrius Johnson is, I think he's made certain choices that have made it hard for the UFC to push him. Now, going to 1FC, it fits his character, it fits his brand, and it fits the things that it fits the avenues that he works for money. So you're right, it's a great business move for him. And the biggest part of it, I think, is he's with an organization that really wants him. I mean, they really fought to get Demetrius Johnson. The UFC just got him and worked with him. They did the best they could with him but he was never a priority. They were never fully invested in him. One of C's wants him and is willing to put their full power behind him, and that makes a difference. I don't understand why fighters stay with organizations that aren't 100% invested in them. That goes for Cyborg as well. I know people talk about the bigger money the UFC, but you, I, you can make more money with a company that believes in you and a company that doesn't believe in you. A company that doesn't believe in you isn't going to cut you in on that billion-dollar pie. The company that does might only make tens of millions but they're going to give you the biggest slice of that tens of millions they can. Whereas the bigger company is just going to give you whatever they have left over. So I'm very happy for Demetrius. He, he's with the company that really wants him. It's going to push him and put him in give him the opportunity to accomplish his dream, which is to be a multi-organizational champion. 
because he mentioned this years ago, many times, he wants to win belts in other organizations. And 1FC is the kind of organization that'll get him in with a belt and they might be able to do some kind of deal with Bellator or somebody else to get him another title shot or another organization's belt. So he's, he's getting all his dreams. He's going to get his respect. He's going to get his money. It's, it's a perfect move for him. It's the best move possible. So before we go, before we move on to our preview of UFC 230, there are three other things I wanted to talk about with this because you just made me think about. The first one is that I was reading something maybe like last week or the week before, and they were talking about how the fighters that are leaving the UFC are more like the ones that have more of an entrepreneurial type of mindset where they're stepping outside of the UFC, joining promotions like Bellator, but not only establishing themselves as fighters making bigger paychecks, but they're also doing other things to kind of create longer or more robust streams of, of income. And I think that that's something that Johnson's going to be able to do moving over to uh, 1FC. Like I said, he uh, is already he's already an influencer within the video game space. He's been showing up at some recent video game events. I think he was at E3 this year. He was just at, a, at an event uh, in October. So he's definitely someone that I believe that that industry is going to kind of latch on to uh, and, and put in a in a prominent position. So I think that there is opportunity there for him. Uh, something else I wanted to say, though, is there's there's talk going on about Henry Cejudo moving up to face TJ Dillashaw for the bantamweight title. If I was a flyweight fighter in the UFC, should I be concerned that my, my, my division is about to get folded away? Uh, yeah, they, they should have been concerned, to be quite honest. I mean, when the whole thing happened with Demetrius, when they were talking about getting rid of the division the first time, what did he say? He goes, I don't care. Close the whole division. You're not going to bully me into doing what you want. And unfortunately for the division, he's been so dominant, nobody else has gotten a chance to really develop a fan base or get get into a, a real fancy win streak because he beats everybody. So guys got served up to him before they had enough seasoning or enough experience so then a guy has goes on a three-fight win streak, and then they face the champ. In what division do you go on a three-fight win streak and you get a championship fight? Even in heavyweight, you got to win five or six. But in flyweight, he was knocking everybody off so quickly. He got underdeveloped guys. And if you're underdeveloped as far as the skill, you're also underdeveloped as far as being uh, a main event fighter because most of the times those guys are fighting on prelims. So you go from fighting in front of 50,000 people online to fighting in front of, in fighting in front of the whole world and they expect you to carry some sort of interest or fan base, that's not how it works. So if I was any flyweight in the UFC, I'd be prepared to move up or I'd be prepared to go to another organization because it's clear they do not have that much faith in the organization, in the, in the division. And by, tr- by trading the biggest fi- name fighter, whether he's popular or not, he, he's the biggest name flyweight fighter in the history of the division and one of the biggest flyweight fighters in the world, and you just gave him up for a welterweight who's retired... That's not a good sign. And if I'm these other guys, I'm, I'm looking ahead, and, I, and they should have been looking ahead for the past year or two because it's clear the UFC is not invested in that division. And if they, don't, if they don't know that, if me and you know that and they don't know that, then their management has failed them, and they have failed themselves. So what do they do then? Where do they go? Like, if Do they say, okay, well, I'll fight at 135, or do they ask to be to be released? I wonder if they can even do that. Uh, if, if if there's provisions in their contract that they can say, I, "I'd rather be released and I'll go 
I'll go to 1FC as well, or I'll try my hand somewhere else that has flyweight fighters. If you had a fighter right now that was at 125, how would you um, advise him? I'd probably, I'd have to tell him, I'd have to explore seeing if I could get a release and go to another organization. Not because you don't want to fight for the UFC, but you drop weight classes for a reason. And it's not like the, it's not like the Bantamweight division is very thin and they don't have a lot of world-class competitors who are ready to fight. It's actually a pretty robust division. So you're going there and you got to start from scratch and work your way up. And that's a tough road to hoe because you're facing guys of comparable skill level plus guys who are coming in, you know, coming into the fight like 150, 160. You know, it's a huge weight disadvantage. I mean, look at how Sergio Pettis did a bantam weight and look how he did a flyweight. It's like night and day. He was like a fight away from a title shot in flyweight. He was nowhere near the title, a title shot in bantam weight. He was barely near the top 15. It, it, the weight matters, and you're facing world-class guys and a lot of them in that division constantly coming in and out. So to me, if, I'm, if my guy moves up, there's a good chance he's going to take more abuse. He's going to be facing world-class guys, so it's going to be longer fights, more exhausting fights, more physically punishing fights for about the same kind of money. What's the benefit? What's the benefit for my fighter? Did he get to fight in the UFC? He was already in the UFC. He was a flyweight, and y'all got rid of his division. So clearly you don't value him. So what's, who's to say you're going to give him good matchups? Who's going to say you're going to give him fights that allow him to develop and get down a win streak? If you, if you ended his whole division, how much concern do you have for my fighter's, my fighter's career? I'd be trying to get out of my contract and see if I could fight somewhere else. Now, as we talked about, there's guys who love that UFC, and some of them are going to stay, but a lot of those guys already tried their hand in bantamweight. weight. That's why they dropped down the flyweight in the first, way, first place. I don't think they're going to have much better luck up there Demetrius Johnson had, had trouble at Bantamweight, and he's by far the most skilled and most experienced guy in the division or formerly in the division. I don't know what the rest of these guys are going to do because they have clear holes in their games that a bigger, stronger, more dynamic athlete is going to exploit. So to me, you have to try and find a way out. I guess, I guess you have to fight your way out. You do, but there's a good chance you might be taking some career-altering beatings on the way out of the UFC, because they're not going to be doing you any favors. They ended your division. How many favors are they going to do you? Exactly. Um, I don't think they're going to do any favors for that division at all. So I'm, I'm really kind of, I'm not concerned, but I'm interested in seeing uh, what's next uh, for those men that are in that 125-pound uh, division. Hey, Rafael, one question. If you're a flyweight and you know how they treated flyweights, I think the UFC's had some signings in the past couple of years. How do you sign to the UFC knowing how they've done their flyweight division? Say that again. Like if you're a flyweight and you've seen the pattern with the UFC and how they how they how they push the flyweight division, how do you sign with the UFC or re up with them knowing what they've done to the division you fight in? I mean, I said it one more time. Like, well, basically, like they have they've never treated the flyweight division very well, right? Yeah. So if you're a fighter. How do you re-sign with them, knowing that the, how they're doing your division? Or if you're an incoming fighter, how do you sign on to a contract, knowing that they disrespect the division you compete in? Like that's, it doesn't seem smart. Like it, it's it's, uh, man, these guys got to do whatever they got to do. Like they got to do whatever they got to do, and, and it's un, and it's an unfortunate situation where they're putting themselves in a position of powerlessness and that kind of it all goes back to that project spearhead situation you know we talk about the powerless situation that these fighters are in but they're not doing anything to help themselves so it's really only like how many times can you talk about it yeah yes i mean 
if they want to do it. But it's like that's what, why I can only be so concerned because I'm like, you signed a contract knowing how they treat how they treat people, knowing what they're going to do to you. I, I I feel bad for you, but I can't feel sorry for you. You walked into this knowing what's going on. So I mean, I I think this is a really interesting time. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to kind of talk about was. Let's talk about the UFC finally cooperating with an outside organization. Remember, this is the same organization that absolutely refused to work with Fedor for years when he was at the height of his career as a UFC champion and they had, or excuse me, as a MMA heavyweight and they had Randy Couture who wanted to fight him so badly. They refused to work with Fedor. But now we're looking at a situation where they're willing to cooperate with, with Floyd Mayweather. Now they're cooperating with 1FC. What do you think is next? Is this the height of it? Is this as big as it's going to get? Or are we looking at a situation where in the future we may see a Bellator champion and a, and a UFC champion fighting in a cage? Uh, I don't know because the, the, the Floyd Mayweather thing made sense to me because you know it was going to make the UFC so much money to be a part of the Mayweather productions and, and a boxing pay-per-view. The Johnson-Askren thing, like Askren's not a real big draw to my knowledge, so I'm, I'm not quite sure what they get out of it other than just doing right by Demetrius Johnson and the UFC historically has not done right by fighters I mean they pay them they give them bonuses but that's stuff that they earn everybody says they're doing them a favor they're not doing you a favor you earn that whether they chose to give it to you they you earned it and lots of guys earn bonuses every night and they don't get them so it's hard to me it's hard for me to think that they're going to do this again unless there's some huge benefit for them if Fedor wins that Grand Prix I can see them reaching out to Bellator to see maybe they can do some kind of cross promotion deal or wait till Bell wait till Fedor gets out of his contract and do a deal with him because they can make a lot of money if he's coming off a Grand Prix win. But I don't know how many other fighters in their organization or outside of it generate enough money or interest for the UFC to be willing to make those kind of exceptions for them. Floyd Mayweather, he he's all money. I mean, he's money Mayweather. You're going to make an exception for two three hundred million and and, and 2.4 pay-per-views. The rest of these guys, I, I don't know that they have the juice, and I don't know if they have the popularity for the UFC to do that in their favor. I can see it with Fedor if he wins that if he wins that um that Grand Prix, but I don't know how many other fighters that they would really want to work with like that. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, man. Um, I don't. I can never see them ever working with like a Scott Coker, uh, just because the beef, not the beef, quote unquote, but the back and forth that him and Dana have had publicly, but. Do we see a situation? I mean, they've kind of they've cooperated with the U with the WWE as well. So, do we see a situation where maybe we see some guys going back and forth between the two? I mean, while I'm not saying it's something I would want to see, but it's something that would create some intrigue for both brands, and both brands are all about that uh, all about that money at, at the end of the day. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, with WWE, I can see that something with the I can see them doing it with Mayweather again because you know with Khabib if he boxes Floyd. That's that I can see them doing that. The WWE isn't a direct competitor in the truest sense. So I, I can see them doing that as well. But working in those mixed martial arts circles, that's where it gets real dicey. Like you said, boxing and wrestling aren't direct competitors to them. That helps their brand more than it hurts them. Working with these other organizations, it might go against their best interest. I mean, the reason they stopped doing that is because what um, happened to Chuck when he fought Rampage in Pride. You know, they thought that they advertised him as the baddest man, baddest light heavyweight, and then he gets knocked out and, and got knocked out easily by, by Rampage. So they no longer wanted to risk their prized possession. You know, somebody, an MMA guy losing in a boxing match, nothing. 
he it gets involved in a wrestling scheme or loses a wrestling match, that's nothing. But he loses to another established mixed martial arts champion or fighter, that's kind of problematic. And I don't think they're taking those kind of risks. Very true there, sir. Very true. So let's talk about a big event we have this weekend with UFC 230. We got a main event showcase that has gone through multiple iterations we didn't know what the main event was going to be we had one main event announced people basically almost fucking rioted over that one main event uh we've lost we've lost a, an important co-main event fight with nick diaz and nate diaz excuse me and uh dustin poirier we've lost the second co-main event with chris weidman and um luke rocco People also forget we lost the fight with Yoel Romero and uh, Paulo Costa. So this event has gone through multiple iterations, multiple iterations. But are you pleased with what we have sitting in front of us for Saturday? Uh, I mean, they did the best they could. They got the most favorable, most eye-catching event, main event they could. I, I don't think it's particularly good. I mean, it's not a terrible card. I've seen worse UFC cards. And they, they scrapped together something interesting and something that the fans can get behind. So as far as that instinct, it, it, as far as that goes, yeah, I, I'm, I'm satisfied. As far as what we were told we were going to get, there's no way I could be anything less than disappointed. I mean, if you look at the fights that were on the deck, on deck for that, and what we got, it, it's just, that's a disappointment. But making the most out of what was left, uh, the UFC did an excellent job. Yeah, man, I'm 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 interested in what I see here. You know, we still have Israel Adesanya fighting. I'm interested in the Sajara Eubanks Roxanne Modafari fight. I'm definitely interested in seeing Julio Arce. That's a name that people need to start begin, need to begin paying attention to because I think he's someone that's going to kind of create some waves in the uh, UFC. But before we get to all of that, let's start at the very top: Cormier versus Derek Lewis. Now, to me, I don't even know how to really describe this fight because. Everyone is expecting Cormier to win. Everyone is expecting Cormier to win handily. This is a fight Taylor made for him. Kind of, it makes you think of of Clubber Lang talking about Rocky Balboa when they fought in in Rocky Three. Uh, that he was he was tailor made for him. This is a fight that's tailor made for Derek uh, Derek uh, Daniel Cormier to win. But do you think we live in a world where there's a possibility, a strong possibility, that Derek Lewis is a UFC heavyweight champion? It's a possibility just because of the nature of how Derek Lewis fights. The biggest thing people for, and I've written, I've written a lot of articles on MMA ratings about Derek Lewis. He doesn't really have a discipline he excels in. He's not in the greatest of shape. Um, he's, he, even though he's experienced, he hasn't really done a lot with that experience as far as that goes. And he doesn't train at a top end camp where he's getting pushed every day and sparring. So I've had a lot of issues with Derek Lewis. I don't really think he's elite in the truth world but the fact of the matter is Derek Lewis is a smart fighter the best thing Derek Lewis does is he fights off the counter and he's so vulnerable as a fighter guys hitting him taking him down before you know it you've overextended yourself striking hanging around the pocket overextended yourself break it up a little bit man you're breaking up some excuse me or you've overextended yourself trying to hold down this huge behemoth of a man who's also super athletic and super strong and then before you know it, he lands a knockout punch, knockout knee, gets on top of you, and just pounds you through the mat. Derek Lewis could be a champion because there, because Daniel Cormier isn't hard to hit. Daniel Cormier isn't a knockout striker. 
And Daniel Cormier is on the is coming to the end of his career. He's not the athlete he used to be, and he's not as durable as he used to be. There's going to be opportunities for Derek Lewis to get his work done. And the fact that Derek Lewis can hang around and fight, and he's always ready to pull the trigger for that knockout blow, he's always going to have a chance. Even if he's getting dominated, his history tells us we should be on the edge of our seat. So with knockout power, being a counterfighter, being explosive and extremely strong, and having the heart to stay in a fight no matter how badly he's getting beaten, there's, there's ways for Derek Lewis to win. Is it highly likely he wins? No. But every guy who's beaten Derek Lewis has had better skill, been essentially a better athlete, and been a better MMA fighter. And he somehow found a way to win, basically because they make mistakes. And if somebody tells me that Daniel Cormier can't make mistakes, that's wrong. I've seen him make a lot. You tell me Daniel Cormier can't have a takedown defended, I've seen Frank Mir do it. I've seen Stipe do it. If you tell me that he can't get hurt, I've seen Anthony Johnson and, and Ozemir rock him badly. There's ways for Derek Lewis to win. It's just, it depends on Daniel Cormier being irresponsible, immature, and basically out of character for him to lose. So would I be shocked if Derek wins? Not at all. But will I be shocked if it's just a five-round beating or a three-round beating before he gets submitted? I won't be shocked by that either. It's really a fight that could go either way. But if you look at it on paper, it's an easy win for Daniel Cormier. I mean, I can't disagree with you there, sir. This is a fight that was built off of popularity. I mean, and and, and before I kind of dive down that uh, rabbit hole, I will say this, because this is something interesting. I think Danny Segura said it today on the MMA Hour. But he said, if you look at Derek Lewis's <laughs> record by itself, you can see how this man worked his way towards a title shot. This is a guy, he's on a three-fight winning streak over Alexander Volkov, Francis Ngannou, Marcin Tybura. He lost to Mark Hunt. Then he defeated Travis Brown, uh, Roy Nelson, Gabriel Gonzaga, so many other guys before. You know, like he's had... He's had his way. I mean, he, he's had his way. He's what? Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He's 12 and three in, in just the, the UFC at, at by itself. So I can see how he's worked his way to this point, especially with the heavyweight division being as devoid of death as it really is now. But let me ask you this. If he didn't say my balls are hot at UFC 229, is he getting this fight? Say that again. If Derek Lewis didn't get on the microphone and say my balls are hot at UFC 229, would he be getting this? Honestly, fight? honestly, I I don't think he does. I mean, even though even though to be fair, out of all the shows that talk about heavyweight fights, we're the only guys who've been consistently saying Derek Lewis is a fight away from the U- UFC title because he's won so many fights and he's done it in such dramatic fashion. Um, but essentially, he took advantage of the moment. Whether he was just really that hot or he was playing a character, he took advantage of the moment, and that's what got him the fight. I mean, and and even though that's what set up the fight for him, because he, he generated that interest in social media and because of his character and his charisma, the fact of the matter is, like you said, his record backs up the fact that he should be fighting for a, a UFC heavyweight title. Plain and simple. He's put so many, he's been on multiple win streaks. He's beating almost everybody else in the heavyweight division. It's kind of funny that 
Daniel Cormier got a shot before Derek Lewis because Derek Lewis has basically run through the division pretty handily. I mean, the only boring fight he's had is a fight with Ngannou, but he still won that one. So he's beaten multiple ranked heavyweights. He's done it in an impressive fashion, and he's done it in dramatic fashion, and he's got a character, and he's got a fairly exciting style. It's kind of shocking to me that he hadn't already been discussed as a potential challenger for the title, to be honest. So if they didn't give this fight to him, Oh, man, I don't even want to think about what they could have done with the UFC 230 card. I think this card would have probably fallen apart. I mean, I guess they could have tried a Stipe rematch, right? True. Uh, true. Cause I'm, not, I'm not even but sure. But they seem to hate. Doing. They really seem to hate Stipe. Like, they really hate this dude. I don't know if hate is, is the right word, but they got, I mean, they're, they're struggling to find love, love uh, for him consistently. I can tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's, I don't, I, you know what? If, if, Everything I heard about Cormier is true, like his hand hurts or whatever else. I don't think he fights, takes the fight with Stipe. I think he's taking the fight with Derek because Derek has a personality. Derek can sell. Derek will get him paid. And because Derek is technically the least threatening fighter in the division. I mean, he's dangerous. He's got a big punch. He's got a big heart. He turns fights around. But with a guy with Cormier's confidence, he's not going to think that's enough to beat him. You know, he's just not going to think that's enough to beat him. He's going to figure, I beat Anthony Johnson, I beat Ozdemir, I beat guys like Derek Lewis who are better than Derek Lewis. So this is a safe fight for him. Even though if he loses this fight, his legacy as a fighter will be dinged permanently. So I hope he's not taking this too lightly because he loses Derek Lewis. All that goodwill he built up will be gone. And trust me, John Jones will not let him live this down. All I can tell you is he better not lose this fight because the memes, the jokes... The play on social media of him getting knocked out, it will be on rerun for now to the end of time. He will never live that down. So I hope he's I hope he's training appropriately, and I hope he did not take Derek Lewis lightly. Because Lewis loses, he loses nothing. He's still a character. He still worked his way from nothing to a UFC title shot. He's got nothing on the line. Nobody expects him to win. But if Daniel Cormier loses this fight, it's problems, man. It is It is serious problems. Yeah, there's definitely some serious problems there. Um, and could you cool. imagine Derek Lewis versus Brock Lesnar? That fight might actually sell more than DC versus Brock Lesnar because they're two big characters. Uh, let me put it like, well, you're right. You're right because I was going to say if John Jones defeats Alexander Gustafsson, I think he's fighting Brock Lesnar. But I could live in a world where Derek Lewis and Brock Lesnar fight, and that would be that would be comedy to me. Oh, the the UFC would love it. WWE would love it. They could have the fight in the UFC and have the rematch in the WWE. Um, it writes itself, man. It writes itself. You're totally right. Like it does write itself. Let's talk about this coming event: Luke Rockhold and Jacare getting it on in the uh, cage. Weidman, I mean, not Luke Rockhold. Excuse me, Chris Weidman. Weidman is a favorite right now, which I, I mean, I'm okay with. See, I think his wrestling is enough to kind of stay out of bad positions and, and get submitted. But what are your thoughts about this fight here? Um, I still just think it's a dangerous fight because Weidman isn't as durable as he used to be. He talks about how Jacare gasses a little bit, but the fact of the matter is, in his last three fights, Weidman's gassed too. When he, he's faced a guy he hasn't been able to control position. He's gassed, and he's gotten beaten up, if not knocked out. So while I think he has a style and the skills to extend Jacare and kind of wear him out and drag him down, in the same instance, to, to get the fight he wants, that's going to require him to pressure 
That's going to require him to get into the pocket. That's going to require him, even if he gets his hands on Jacare, having to extend energy to get that takedown and to maintain control over a guy who's who's not the athlete he used to be, but is still in the top up, upper level of the athlete in the middleweight division. In every instance, he's in that danger zone. Is a chance he can be finished. Jacare, I believe, can submit him. Jacare can knock him out on the speed or knock him out in the transition. So I'm going to say Wyvin has good tools, the right tools and the right skill set and approach to win the fight. I just don't think he has the conditioning or the physical durability to win this kind of fight, not in middleweight. I think the weight cut really has begun to affect him in the past couple fights. I think it's going to be yet another fight where it impacts him again. If he beats Jack Ray, I won't be shocked, but I, I fully expect Jack Ray to beat him. Maybe not, maybe by most likely by not So if Jacare wins this fight, do we see Wyman go up to 205? He's been talking about it. I really don't understand why he hasn't already gone. He really thinks he's close to a uh, a title fight, I guess. And I, I can't buy it. You can't have two, even if he has two wins in, what, two years? Is that enough to get a title shot? I don't think so. But um, I, I'd actually rather, I'd rather, I like him at, at light heavyweight, to be honest, if he goes right now. He wouldn't be as big, but with his quickness and his wrestling, I think he could, I mean, in the division, super thin. He could probably get to top three or four within a year. Uh, middleweight's getting a little bit thicker, and I, I don't think he can beat any of the elite guys. If I was him, he would, I would have already moved up and started my, my career before I do too much damage to myself. And I think that's the risk he's running right now. Interesting breakdown there, sir. Um, I don't want to talk about David Branch and Jared Cannonier, nor Carl Robinson and Jack Marshman. But I do want to talk about Derek Brunson, Israel Adesanya. Talk to me about this fight here, man. Is this another opportunity for the Adesanya show to continue on? It just really seems like a setup fight for him. Um, Derek Brunson isn't a bad fighter. He's had some great wins. But a lot of his wins recently have come over guys who were hugely at class and, at, and at athletically. Daniel Ke- Dan Kelly. Dan Kelly's like the epitome of a journeyman. And then he beat up Leota Machida, which is a good win, but Leota's not the guy he used to be. And he was coming off almost a year, two year suspension. He was nowhere near sharp. And before he landed that knockout shot, he was getting picked apart by an old man who's not half as fast as he used to be. The biggest issue with Brunson is he's not with Jackson anymore. And Jackson knew how to rein him in and have him fight smart and play to his strengths and find the openings that his style provided for him. Not the brawling style, but the mix of striking and wrestling. He doesn't do that anymore. He's either striking or he's wrestling. And that's not going to cut it against Adesanya. Adesanya's footwork's too good. And defensively, I think he's too hard to hit. And once you hit Derek Brunson clean, he kind of loses his composure. And once he loses his composure, he starts fighting without sense. And when he starts fighting without sense, he usually gets knocked out by anybody who's willing to aggressively counter him, which is what Adesanya does all night long. I fully expect Adesanya to beat him. He might knock him out. I'm, I'm going to think it's by decision. He's basically going to do what he did to Tavares. He's going to use feints. He's going to use movement. And he's just going to chip away at Brunson. Brunson's confidence is going to get shaken. And Brunson's going to start make, making dumb mistakes, trying to get control of the fight back immediately instead of working his way back into a fight. Um, his new camp just isn't doing him any favors. He's a big hitter. He's a wrestler. So he's going to have opportunities. But anytime things go wrong for him, he seems to kind of crumble. I don't think Adesanya's got the best chin. I don't think Adesanya's a great grappler or a great wrestler. So there's ways for Brunson to win, 
but that requires him to fight with precision, poise, and discipline. And he hasn't done that in years. I mean, he had a hard time taking Anderson Silva down. And we're talking about old man Anderson Silva, not pound for pound best Anderson Silva. And that's a concern for me. So I clearly expect Adesanya to win fairly impressively. I think this is more of a showcase fight, similar to the Brad Tavares fight. I think this is a showcase fight for Adesanya. Man, to be honest, I thought that the Tavares fight was more tough than this fight with uh, Bronson here, in my opinion. I think that Adesanya is someone that they're trying to build up into a star. You know, I, I was struggling with them pushing him so soon, but, I mean, it seems to be coming to uh, fruition. So what do you well, think? You made, what is this kind of ceiling? Because once he beats these kind of guys, there's no back. There's no going back. So if he's, he's not back. yeah, you're right. doing the right work, when he faces the elite, he's going to get exposed and exposed badly, and it's going to be a huge setback. So you have to hope that he's doing the work. You have to hope that he's preparing correctly because Brunson will be pretty much the last easy matchup it is. From that, that point on, it's guys who are tough, guys who can strike, and guys who are dynamic grapplers and wrestlers, which will be very problematic. I mean, Robert Whitaker, that's a tough matchup. Yo Romero, tough matchup. Even Costa, he's not the technician that Adesanya is, but he doesn't seem like he can be physically hurt. So he might be a problem unto himself. But like you said, he wins this fight and then there's nowhere else to go but a lead fighter. So if he's not fully committed and completely ready, he's going to take a big tumble very soon. They've kind of backed themselves into a corner with him. They did what they did with Paige Van Zandt. You let him fight these people and beat them. Now you got to throw in Rose. You knew it was going to happen in that fight. So hopefully... He, like I said, hopefully he's done the preparation. Otherwise, it's going to get really ugly for him very soon. Yeah, it's definitely going to get really ugly, and we're going to see that soon. Um, what else from this card stands out for you? Like, I, I'm interested in this Ajara Eubanks, Roxanne Matafari fight. Do you think this is a fight that Eubanks can win? And the reason why I ask that is because I just want to see her get on the mic and read John uh, Joe Rogan, his riot, read him the riot act like she keeps saying she will. Uh, I, that'd be interesting to see. I'm kind of conflicted on the whole Joe Rogan thing because I get the point where she feels disrespected, and and I and I and I get that whole instance. And maybe Joe shouldn't have said that, but in the fight world, people say disrespectful stuff all the time. And I've heard Sajar Eubanks talk disparaging about fighters before. I've heard her talk disparaging about other people on on the outskirts of fighting before. So it's like if you can't take it, then why are you throwing it? As far as the fight. I really, I want to say I, I, I favor Mata Ferry because I think one of the biggest advantages Eubanks has is she's super athletic, she's super explosive, she's very strong, and she hits really hard. When you face somebody like that the first time, you have no idea how strong they are. You kind of think you know how strong they are, but you don't really know. You kind of think you know how hard they hit, but you don't really know. And then when you face them, it's kind of a shock to you because you're like, oh, wow, they're, they're really this strong. Oh, they hit this hard. But once you face somebody like that, Unless they've taken a huge step forward technically and strategically, it becomes easier to fight them. I would say that the closest example I would have is how Misha Tate had a really easy, got really dominated by Ronda in her first fight. Then the second fight, even though she lost, she was able to put Ronda in some spots because Ronda's athleticism and her power and explosiveness was not foreign to her. She knew she had a feel for her. She knew where Ronda was weakened. She knew where she had some success with. She already had some confidence. Roxanne went to decision with. Are. She already feels like she can hang with her. And even though Sajara's got a little bit better with her footwork, 
putting it together. All around Breaking up a little bit. Everybody. Breaking up a little bit. I'm sorry. Even though Sajara's improved, I'm still a little curious about her gas tank. She was dominating Laura Murphy, and she was still getting tired. And Laura Murphy's not the striker that Mata Ferry is. And Laura Murphy doesn't have a game off her bat. So I really believe that if Roxanne can stay away from the early knockout of the early power, I believe she can extend her and, and essentially walk her down over three rounds. I'd like to see Sajar win because it'd be another big win and would put her in the mix for a title fight and to give a chance to call out Joe Rogan. But I really think uh, Mata Ferry's got something for her because she knows what she's dealing with now. What is what is Matafari ceiling as a, as a uh, in the UFC? We saw her finally get her win that everyone was cheering her on to get. What is her ceiling? To be honest, I really I really kind of feel like she's already hit her ceiling, just because she's not an athlete of any sort. She is the closest to a regular person fighting in mixed martial arts that you will ever see. Um, the only difference she has is she's so she's so experienced. And she was able to basically make an adjustment in her style. Like she went from somebody with no competent striking and um, completely immerse herself into it to come up with a system and a, with a system of responses and answer responses to certain questions or certain threats that has allowed her to navigate her limitations as a, as a fighter. So I feel like she's already hit her ceiling. It's just a matter of, it's just a matter of how long she stays in the elite level. She's got the experience and she's got such a good feel for the game that I feel that she can give anybody a tough fight, but I don't know that she goes much further than she's gone right now. I, I really don't. She She's not a knockout striker. She doesn't have great chin. She's got great cardio, but she doesn't respond really well to heavy, heavy strikes, and she doesn't have the athleticism to take you down whenever she wants. She has to work really hard for everything, and she has to be pitch perfect in everything to even have a chance, and it's almost impossible to do that fight after fight after fight after fight at this level. So I, I really think maybe top three, top top five, top three might be as good as it gets for Mata Ferry. Would I love to see her get higher? Sure. But there's a lot of bad matches for her in this in this division. And, and Sajara Eubanks is another bad matchup. I'm just saying she's already got a good enough feel for her that she might be able to navigate some of the things that Sajara Eubanks is going to try to do to her because she's already been three rounds with her. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you there on, on that on that point at all. Last thing I wanted to talk about, well, I don't want to jump too much in, into Julio Arce. Let me give him one more fight before we start featuring him on this showcase here. But um, what are your thoughts about this event as a whole? Um, it's, I mean, like I said, it's it's the best they could do on short notice. I, I, I think it's going to be detrimental to them going down the line just because if, if, Cormier gets hurt, it essentially throws, if he wins, it throws a heavyweight division in disarray. If Lewis wins, it throws a heavyweight division in disarray. And a lot of these fights um, were just really quickly thrown together, and it could really work against them as far as giving them any sort of foothold and saying that, you know, the UFC is still on the mat. We're still an organization that produces top-end events that draw in the fans because nobody's really talking about this fight the way you would think they're talking about it. They're essentially depending on Lewis and Cormier to, to save the whole thing. And I don't know that either one of them is that big a name or that big a character to um, turn it around. But, I mean, they did the best what they could. But I think it's going to affect the quality of other um, UFC events coming up. And I fully expect to see more injuries in upcoming UFC events that's going to kind of take away from the, the, the shine and the power they have as far as advertising. 
But uh, oh yeah, one thing I want to say, uh, I, I touched on this before. Uh, Derek Lewis proved that you don't need the UFC backing you to become a star. It, a lot of it is really up to you and who you are and how you are as a person and a fighter. You take the opportunities. Not everybody's going to be a superstar, but you can make yourself as big a star as possible. Because Derek Lewis came from nothing. He was in prison. He wasn't highly signed. He had had multiple knockout losses. And yet here he is, one of the biggest stars in the UFC, all done by himself. Organization didn't set up anything for him. He did it. So these fighters saying that the organization has to push you, I just can't buy it, man. I really can't buy it. You can push yourself. And a lot of these people just don't want to do the work necessary. They're just about fighting, and that's cool. But stop complaining about the opportunities you don't get because you don't want to do the work to get where he is. True there, true there, sir. So um, let everybody know uh, what you're working on for this week on MMA ratings. Uh, I got some stuff I'm working long distance on. I, I've been having trouble with my computer, but I've been I got some articles I'm I'm doing that's going to kind of mix um, martial arts and kind of the and some of the stuff with the comic book characters. I'm going to do one on Captain America. I think I might do one on Daredevil, kind of showing how boxing is in the comic book world or in the live action comic book world because those two two characters use a lot of boxing. And I'm um, going to do kind of riff on that. And I got a couple pieces I'm doing on some uh, female fighters. Nothing definite yet. I'm kind of just doing the research right now, and I'm thinking about putting them out. But I want to make I want to make sure that what the first entry I have back into writing after a break is a pretty solid one. So I'm kind of taking my time with those things. Very true, there, sir. Very true. I'm I'm working on a piece on Eubanks that I hope to push out tonight. Um, and I mean, we just launched a new professional wrestling podcast yesterday on the MMA ratings channel. Hopefully, we'll very keep good. That. I heard it. Very good. I'll be back next week to kind of uh, keep pushing that show forward. And um, yeah, man, just doing the damn thing with creating as much content as possible. So as always, uh, be sure to catch me at rgarcia underscore sports and Schwann, let them know where to find you and the rest of our content. You can find me at Black Jordan Green on uh, Twitter. You can find us on YouTube, FM Player, SoundCloud. Are we on Spotify yet? I do not think so. I believe uh, Mike's working on it. And iTunes, so iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and FM Player. You can find the show on. As always, we want to thank you for listening, and we're doing our best to bring the best content to you. Raphael, you need to you need to get in touch with Eubanks because out of all the media, you've been one of the people who's gone the hardest for. Her. I think the least she can do is come up on the show and, and talk to you about her career and her opinions on being looked over by the UFC. Because you've, I mean, you've been riding for her pretty hard. I mean, hey, she's uh, trained with a lot of my friends down here, so maybe I can make that happen. I mean, she, ain't gonna li- she probably won't like me too much, but I- I'm willing to accept that. I'll take that heat for the show. <laughs> so let's see what happens there, man. All right, man. All right, sir. So with that in mind, man, we're going to go ahead and close out, and we'll be back uh, next week, everyone. Have a great weekend. Yeah, have a good evening. Good weekend, guys.